0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 12 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning session of Sunday the 23rd of August 2009, entitled, Jesus Christ Our Lord, part 1. And the Bible reading is the Book of Jude, verses 1 to 25. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles to the Book of Jude, the Book of Jude... Next to the last book in your Bible, I invite you to stand with me this morning for the reading of God's Word, beginning in Jude and verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beast, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them. For well, they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam and For reward and perished in the gainsaying of core. These are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit. Twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust." Their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray now that as we, Lord, take this time to look into your word, we pray for your anointing. We pray that you would speak to our hearts. We pray that by your grace, Lord, that you might do a work amongst us, not because we deserve it, But because we stand in such great need, may you receive all the glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. In our series on contending for the faith, this is the 12th sermon that we are on in this series, which uh, I was asked this morning how many more there were, and I said, I don't know, quite a few. (laughs) Um, But we are um, up to number 12, and uh, and of course, as we have gone through, we uh, began at the first six, really was looking here at the book of Jude as we looked at the uh, encouragement that the Lord has given us in being willing to earnestly contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to us. And of course, we began looking in the seventh sermon at contending for the faith. What is it that we ought to be contending for? Because the problem is, is that so many times as human beings, we tend to want to go to one extreme or the other. We find that if we're not careful, we start picking and fighting over things that are not fundamentals and make enemies out of those that are not really our enemies at all, or either we go to the other extreme and we find that we don't stand and contend for those things that are fundamental that are cardinal, that are basic, that cannot under any circumstances be changed. We said as we go through this series that we want to look at the fundamentals, those basics, those cardinal things that we must be willing to fight for and never change no matter what because they are God's truths and they are that which our faith is built upon. And we begin that by looking at three sermons on the inspired Word of God, because that is the basis of our faith. And of course, then we looked after that at the eternal existence of a triune God. Today, a very simple thought as we look at the fundamentals, and you'll notice you got part one and part two in your bulletin, and you'll get probably part three and maybe even part four after I get back. Uh, can you imagine trying to just preach a sermon on Jesus Christ, our Lord? Uh, the truth is, is that uh, as you begin to look at that subject, I, I've i got somewhere in my notes here, The, uh, as I was thinking and praying and settling, I, I honestly believe that I could preach now until either the rapture or the Lord took me out of here however many times that He gives me to go in the pulpit. I could preach on Jesus Christ our Lord every time, and we still wouldn't get through everything that is in the Word of God concerning Him. It is Christ that we ought to to preach. The truth is I can't let this series go on quite that long, Uh, and so what we're going to do is we're going to abbreviate. And our goal is going to be to give you just a a few things about the Lord Jesus Christ that are fundamentals, that cannot be deviated from in any way, shape, or form. Now, we know that we've already seen when we looked at our message on the eternal existence of a triune God, we saw how there that uh, there is only one God in His triunity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit how that that God in all three persons has always existed and always will exist. There is no beginning and no end. He is the beginning and the end. We want to focus our attention today on this, what is often referred to as the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And though we often refer to Him as the second person of the Trinity, that doesn't mean that He is any less God than God the Father or God the Holy Spirit because we've seen that they are literally three in one, equally God. Now, there's some fundamental things that you must believe about Jesus Christ that you must be willing to contend for in this faith. Now, we've already taken three sermons and looked at the what we call the basis of our faith, the Word of God. And if you'll recall, I explained to you at that time that though the Word of God, is the basis of our faith, that fact does not in any way contradict or take away from the fact that Jesus Christ is the foundation of our faith. Jesus Christ is the foundation that our entire faith is built upon, and we know that the things that we know about Him, the basis of that is what we find in God's Word. I could not... It would be impossible for me to exaggerate to you this morning the importance of the doctrine of Christ. Now, we saw in our last sermon in the series that we must accept, first of all, that God is, that He exists, that He always has existed and that He always will, that that eternal existence is in the form of the Trinity, the three in one. And we saw in that sermon that Jesus Christ was absolutely, completely, 100% God, while at the same time, He was 100% man. That fact was reiterated this past Sunday when we came around the Lord's table and we looked at that thought of being complete in Christ. Now, that sermon wasn't actually part of the series. Maybe it should have been, but it wasn't included in there numerically anyway, but it simply underlines some of those truths about our Lord Jesus Christ as we saw the fact, first of all, that Christ is absolutely, totally, completely God. The Christ that is completely God, the Christian that is complete in Christ, and the conversion that is complete in the gospel. that has been said by many commentators and many writers, and I would most certainly agree that all of the fundamental doctrines of the faith rise and fall on what we believe about Jesus Christ. Remember that the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, he says, "...for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ." There is no other foundation. You see, there is nothing to build upon. We've got to keep in mind and remember that our Christian faith, it's not about a bunch of programs of religious things that we do. It's not about a sheets of all the do's and the don'ts. It's not about the formulas of man. It's not about the denominations and the churches. It's all about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our foundation. That's what everything else is built upon. So the truth is that in all the doctrines that we look at that are important, if we miss this one, to be quite honest, none of the rest of it matters anyway. It doesn't really matter what you believe about anything else. If you're wrong on this one, it stands to reason that if the doctrine of Christ is that important, then Satan is definitely going to want to attack it, isn't he? He's going to want to undermine it. He's going to want to weaken it. He's going to want to change it in any way that he can. Because if he can just get people believing wrong about Jesus, it'll in turn affect what they believe about everything else that they believe. As we look into our reading for today, I want you to to notice again in verse 3 and 4 what it said. Beloved, he said, When I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Why? He says, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and listen, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we are specifically in the breath that God tells us that we are to contend for the faith. One of the first things that we are warned about is that there are those that would deny the only, there's only one Lord God, there is only one God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, note that Christ is referred to there as our Lord Jesus Christ. The same use of all three of those names together is often used either as our Lord Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, it's his full name along with his title. Sometimes he's referred to by any one of those three names. Sometimes he's referred to as Jesus. Sometimes he's referred to as Christ. Sometimes he's referred to as Lord. Sometimes he's referred to in any combination of two of those names as Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. We find that sometimes it's the Lord Jesus. We find that many of those combinations, of course, When they're used, it's not that they're wrong, but this is a title that our Lord Jesus Christ that is used extensively throughout the New Testament. Matter of fact, it was interesting as I started looking and counting, I'd I'd, I'd never looked before just specifically to see, but Paul uses it during the greeting within the first few verses of every epistle that he writes with the exception of Hebrews, if you count that one to the Apostle Paul. But of course, Hebrews doesn't really have a greeting in the first place. It just dives right into what he's going to say. The same is true of Peter and James and Jude. Even John does it. In some of his, and in, in a couple, he doesn't. Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, Jesus, that's his personal name. Jesus is really just a Greek form of Joshua from the Hebrew. Joshua comes from two words that are put together. Guess what the first one is? Simply, Jehovah, the personal name of God himself, meaning the the self-existent one, the eternal one. That's the personal name of God. And the second part of it means to bring salvation or to save. So in fact, Joshua in the Hebrew or Jesus in the Greek is simply meaning Jehovah brings salvation or Jehovah saves. That's what the name means. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? Why was he going to be called Jesus? Well, the verse goes on to tell us, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's why that he was called Jesus. Because it was through him that Jehovah God would save his people from their sins. His personal name. It's his Identity as a person, just like any one of you here today. It was his identity as a, as a man, as Mary's son, as a Nazarene, as a carpenter, and later as a rabbi even. It's the part of Jesus' name that identifies him with humanity. God was coming through humanity, through a man, to save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ. Christ is simply Christos, meaning anointed or the anointed one. You see, it could be said that it was used in the old sense of when surnames actually told you what a person did, like if he was Smith or if he was a tailor, then you knew what his occupation was. It declared a man's trade or it gave you the title of his office. Jesus Christ. He was God's anointed. He was the one that God had anointed and appointed as the Savior King. It could be translated the Messiah. It's Christ. The Bible tells us that he was our prophet, priest, and king. As prophet, he satisfied our need for the instruction that we needed in our ignorance. As priest, he satisfied our need for an intermediary with God the Father. And as king, he satisfied our need for protection, for guidance, for leadership, for sustenance. Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one that came to save us from our sin, anointed and appointed by God himself, Jesus Christ, our Lord. What do you think of when you think of Lord? Speaks of supremacy. Speaks of being supreme in authority. Speaks of the one that is in control. It's used as a title of respect. Showing someone's authority. We find it translated in our Bibles usually either as Lord or as Master. It signifies the power, the authority. It speaks of ownership. It speaks of one to whom service is due to. It's used for an emperor or a king. It uses a title of respect particularly for a father. It became common for addressing the Lord Jesus Christ, by His followers from very early in His ministry, once they recognized who He was and what authority that He carried as our Lord God because He had all authority. And of course, for you and I, it speaks of our submission to that authority. Jude warns us here of those that will deny the Lord Jesus Christ, but notice he says, who is our only Lord God. (laughs) There there is no other way of getting to God except through Jesus. When When he is denied, there is no other access to God at all. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby We must be saved. No other name under heaven. What about when the Philippian jailer, do you remember the story there, how that when he came back in the the earthquake and he found all the doors open and he he literally, he thought his life was ended. (laughs) He thought that surely enough, all the prisoners had escaped. We find that in fact, his life didn't end. His life began because Paul and Silas were still there. In the cells praying, weren't they? And he asked them the question, he said, What must I do to be saved? Their answer to him in Acts 16 31, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved. And yet we find that we are warned here that there are those that would deny him. And you and I meet people every day of our lives that deny the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is. But they're only denying him for now. We can't give up. We can't quit Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. To the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus Christ, He is our Lord today, if you're a believer. But the truth is, those that deny Him, those that have not accepted Him, there is coming a day when they will, most certainly and most definitely, they will confess Him for who He is. Second Peter Chapter 2, it's actually verses 1 and 2 that I wanted there. He says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. The Lord that bought them the one that paid the penalty for their sins, the one that redeemed them, says they'll deny him. But notice it says, and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Turn just a few pages over in your Bible to 2 John. Of course, there's only one chapter there. Notice what it says. Notice, notice this, this letter that the Apostle John is writing. He says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, not only I, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father, now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Why? For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed, for he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Wow. He said there in verse 7, for many deceivers are entered in the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an Antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we have full reward. There are those who would slip into our midst unawares that would deny the Lord Jesus. He says there are many deceivers who would say that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. We're going to deal with that, God willing, this evening. You've been here for Bible study this morning. Steve dealt with it some in the Bible study as well. But note the next three verses here. Whosoever transgresseth, listen, and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. You might think or say, well, preacher, that's, that's awfully strong. Well, you're right. It is. But you see, God said it, not me. God makes it absolutely positively clear. Why would he make such a strong statement? See, there's a lot today. And and some of it's said with the best of intentions. I hear so much about not emphasizing doctrine. Stay away from those things that will divide God's people. You know, it sounds loving and it sounds caring and and sometimes it's even meant that way. Yet I assure you, there is nothing loving and caring about it. According to God's Word, that kind of talk is just pure deception. Even when the person is saying it with the best of intentions, because they themselves have been deceived. You see, the Bible says here, look to yourself. You are responsible. Watch out for yourself. Be careful. Pay attention, he says, so that you don't lose what you have, that which you have have worked for, he says. It's possible to lose the rewards that you've gained, those things that God has put aside for you for the work that you've done for him. But by having anything to do with these deceivers, those that don't hold to the true doctrine of Christ, it can cost you everything. He says don't have anything to do with them. Because if you do, you become partaker, you share in their evil deeds. Do we grasp the significance of the instruction that we're being given here? Do we grasp the importance of the doctrine of God? It's so important. He says, first of all, if a person doesn't have this teaching of Christ right, then they don't have God. But if they do have it, they've got the Lord Jesus Christ and they've got God the Father He says, if there's those that doesn't stand up on this doctrine of Christ, he said, don't have anything to do with them. Don't bring them in your house. Don't even wish them good luck. (laughs) The truth is, sometimes we want to be too nice to people. If someone is not right on the doctrine of Christ, we ought not to be wishing them anything good with that that they're carrying, which is going to be poison to other people. People. The very simple truth is that it is impossible, completely impossible, to have salvation without having the right doctrine of the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Impossible. You can be wrong about so many other doctrines, so many other teachings, and you'll still survive. But if you're wrong about this, as I said in the beginning, nothing else really matters. Do we begin to grasp maybe that statement that I made in the beginning that everything fundamental about our faith really does stand or fall depending upon what we believe? about Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I've had dear folks come up to me and say things before because the truth is, is that there's a lot. There's a lot of things that we need to be straight on when it comes to the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a way... You know, I trust and pray that I never preach a message that isn't preaching Jesus Christ, our Lord. I don't ever want to preach without preaching Jesus. So from almost any perspective you want to look at it, what I say in this series on this matter of Jesus Christ is not even going to begin to scratch the surface. (laughs) What I want to do, though, is by skimming this surface is to hit on a few of the fundamental things that you cannot, absolutely cannot afford to be wrong about. And I would even say this, if in these next sermons on this subject, if there is anything that I say that you don't fully understand, that you don't fully grasp, then I want you to come and see me and I want you to ask me and I want you to say, show me what you meant by that in God's Word. There may be those that hear this sermon on the internet or somewhere else. You get in touch with us. You contact us. The information is there. You can't afford to be wrong about Jesus Christ. Now, some people have told me, well, you know, the birth of Jesus isn't really important. It's the death that matters. Because that's where he died for my sins. And I've had others to say things like, well, Oh, it's not his dying on the cross that's really... It's it's the resurrection. That's what we ought to celebrate because that's where the victory was won. I've had others that all their focus is on the second coming. So he said, everything else has passed anyway. That's the one that I want to focus on. I want to give you just four fundamentals. Four fundamentals. Remember what we said? The fundamentals. That's the basics. That's the basis. That's the things that has got to be. That's the cardinal things. Four fundamentals concerning Jesus Christ that are inseparable. You can't take one of them and leave the others. Matter of fact, you can't even take one away and keep the others. You can't afford to be wrong about any of these. There's so many things that are so very important that I could say about Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand these are fundamentals. These are absolutes. These are a part of our faith that we cannot move on, that we cannot change on no matter what. I mean, if every other church in the world decides to go a different direction with it, you can't move from these things. Those four things that I want to touch on, and I'm going to begin on the first one this evening, is the virgin birth. The virgin birth. Folks, you can't believe wrong about that. The second one is his vicarious death, his substitutionary death, if you would, that he died in our place. The third is his victorious resurrection. You can't be wrong about that. And the fourth is His visible return. I'm saying there are four fundamental things. You can mispronounce His name. You can get a lot of things wrong. But you cannot. You cannot believe and be a part of the same faith that I am and be wrong about His virgin birth and be wrong about His vicarious death and be wrong about His victorious resurrection or be wrong about His visible return. And I'm going to give you this illustration. It's really part of tonight's. But to give you an idea of what I am talking about. Not too many years back. Well, more years now than it used to be. (laughs) Not long before I came to this country. So that's been a while now. (laughs) I was speaking to a pastor. A man that was a pastor in what would be considered by most of the world to be a very conservative denomination, a denomination that would be very evangelistic and soul-winning in their efforts. He had not long come out of seminary, and he started pastoring his first church. Now, folks, I want to tell you, he was a very nice guy. I mean, he was dressed smart, he talked smart, he had a great attitude. There was no question that he was loving and caring in his attitude and everything, but he sat there at my desk and he looked me straight in the eyes, Brother Peter, and he said the virgin birth didn't matter. He didn't believe it, but it didn't make any difference. That it didn't make any difference to his faith or to the people that he would be ministering to. I was shocked. This man was serious. He was sitting there and denying it. He'd just come out and he'd been taught this in school and now he's getting ready to go into the pulpit and teach it to all of that congregation. Why? That he believed that it wasn't important. The Bible said look you to yourself. You're responsible. You can't get up one day and say, "Well, I'm sorry, God, <laughs> My pastor told me different. <laughs> I'll give an account for everything that I teach you and tell you and preach to you. But when you stand before God, you've got the word of God. You've got the Bible. You'll be responsible for you. God help, I would never tell you anything wrong for all the world. But we want to look, at, and, and I will look you straight, and I will tell you this. The virgin birth is so important that it'll affect just about every other doctrine in the Word of God if it's taken away. Is it important? You better believe it. Why does Satan like to undermine it and take it away? Because it affects so much. Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, we want to look in these next few sermons. We want to be absolutely right on some things. But Folks, I want you to understand that you've got to stand on these things. You can't let anybody move you on these things because the things that we believe about them they're absolutely fundamental to our faith Father, I thank you this morning, Lord as we have looked into your word Father I thank you for just reminding us of our Lord Jesus Christ of who he is and Lord we we've just we've just not even skimmed the surface but Lord I thank you for reminding us of who he is and what he came to do. Father, I pray that this evening and as we move forward and look at these doctrines of Christ as you call them yourself in your word, that you'll help us, Lord, to see, to understand, to hold these things dear. And I pray if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, maybe they know Jesus by hearing about him and the stories. Father, they... Know the names, but they couldn't honestly say today that He's their Lord. Father, I pray that you would help them this day to recognize that need, that whatever else they do with their life, that they'll realize that this is one thing they cannot be wrong about. And help us, Lord, that belong to you by your grace. Help us to understand that this is so important. Our family our friends, those we go to school with, those we work with on the jobs, those that we meet every day. No matter how nice they are, they can't afford to be wrong about this. Help us, Lord, to be a light, to be a witness, that they might see the true Jesus Christ and all that he is. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.